Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Double Down, a WNBA podcast. I'm your host, Eric Nemchak, alongside my partner, Stephen Trinkwald. And Stephen, today we're going to be talking about a team that's very near and dear to my heart, the Chicago Sky. I'm excited to dive into them. As am I, as am I. Uh, so the Sky, I think most people would say, had a successful 2019 season. They went 20-14 and 14 for the fifth-best record in the WNBA. They had the sixth, sixth best net rating for efficiency differential, plus 1.4. Uh, offensively, I would say they were probably one of the better teams in the league. Uh, 101.6 points per 100 possessions. That was good for second in the league. Defensively, they weren't as strong. They were ninth in the league in defensive rating, giving up about 100.1 points per 100 possessions. But James Wade, in his first season as Chicago Sky head coach, was named Coach of the Year, so a very successful campaign for Mr. Wade. Uh, and the Sky defeated the Mercury in the first round of the playoffs and lost to the Aces in the second round on a shot that I do not want to discuss at all. So let's just talk about the Sky's uh, season, shall we? Let's move on. Let's move on. Okay. All right. So we've got some good notes here on their offense. Um, like I said before, the Sky were a very solid offensive team, particularly in transition. Is there anything that really stood out to you when looking up these statistics? I mean, they were just a force, really, in, in so many different ways, how they really generated uh, efficient offense. You had mentioned the transition, third in transition efficiency, fourth in frequency. Diamond to Shields, in particular, led the entire league in total possessions in transition. You know, only the 72nd percentile herself, which doesn't sound amazing, but nobody else really in her neighborhood efficiency-wise had even half as many possessions as her. So she was really just a one-person show in terms of creating efficient offense in the transition game by herself. You know, they were the second best half-court offense. They, they ran just a really motion-heavy offense, third in points per possession and spot-up attempts, first in efficiency in coming off screens, but not the pick-and-roll heavy offense that, that we talked about last week with Atlanta. They kind of do it a little bit differently, running a lot more motion sets, running um, a lot more off-ball action. So, you know, not everything was good with them. They were ninth in turnover percentage, fourth in steal percentage by their opponents. So a lot of live ball turnovers that could really create transition opportunities for their opponent. But, uh, you know, second overall in, in true shooting percentage, and they were able to get to the line pretty well as well, you know, near the middle of the pack in terms of free throw attempt rate. Now, as a, a longtime Sky fan, I need to kind of interject with my just my general take here on the Sky's offense. This seemed to be, you know, when James Wade came in, he installed this motion-heavy offense. This seemed to be the year in which the Sky offense, relative to the rest of the league, of course, because offense was down across most of the WNBA this season, but it seemed to be the year where the Sky really fulfilled their offensive potential. And I think it's interesting that you point out they're good in both the half-court and in transition. So it's not like the Sky were a one-trick pony as far as, you know, like, you, you think of them obviously being with players like Diamond Shields and Kalia Copper and also Ellie Quigley, which we're going to talk about later. But as this team that wants to get out, they want to push the ball, they want to score in transition, but they were just as effective in the half court too. So as a Sky fan, that was really, really nice to see, to be honest with you. Yeah, they were great in, in the half court. Their, their guards, uh, Courtney Vandersloot, Allie Quigley, they're amazing half court players. To be top three in both transition efficiency and half court efficiency, that's how you get to be such a good offense. Where would you like to start just in terms of kind of what, what made them good? Well, I mean, you got to start with the backcourt, right? I mean, Courtney Vandersloot broke her own record for assists. But beyond that, I mean, her backcourt mate, Allie Quigley, put up some crazy shooting numbers once again. 
It was honestly insane looking it up. Maybe, you know, for my money, the most versatile jump shot in the league, uh, right up there with maybe Kirstie Tolliver, but Allie Quigley, 91st percentile in jump shots off the dribble, 97th percentile converting wide open catch and shoots. She was in the 99th percentile in all spot up situations. So that's catch and shoot opportunities, attack and closeouts. She was in the 84th percentile coming off screens, but nobody was even in her neighborhood in terms of the number of possessions. So she's just constantly running around screens. Her and Steph Dolson, I think in particular, have like great chemistry, getting Quigley open off the ball. 52% shooting on long twos, 44% from three. She is insane. It's, it's quite frankly ridiculous how, how good Ellie Quigley is, um, how good of a shooter she is. And we talk about, as I alluded to earlier, she was also a really good transition player, probably just because these other players like DeShields and Copper and Vandersloot, when they were getting out and running, Quigley just ran straight to the three-point line and and that was that yeah she was great in transition the 91st percentile you know really liked to flare out to the line would take a, a few more like pull-up jump shots like bringing it up herself in transition she really knew just kind of how to find the opening and make it easy for Vandersloot and for DeShields to, to find her you know if they didn't have their own offense Vandersloot herself kind of just okay in terms of her own individual efficiency in transition but of course it's like always going to be creating for others here 37 percent assist percentage in transition so those three you know, when you add in Gabby Williams also was a, a plus for them in transition, they were a force there. All right, so I'm just going to talk about Ellie Quigley for a second. This is a player who played for four separate WNBA franchises before joining the Chicago Sky in 2013. And even in 2013, you know, she, she played in 34 games, but she wasn't that much of a factor. After that, though, Ellie really carved out a niche for herself. She is, we would both agree, the best shooter in the WNBA. And she's doing that, you know, not with outstanding size or athleticism, but just amazing mechanics coming off those screens she's in incredible shape like her body fat I don't even I don't even know what it is it's like one percent or something like that (laughs) I'm joking of course but Ellie is in my opinion the quintessential example of a player who through hard work and through really pushing herself to her physical limits has carved out a niche for herself in the WNBA with with using a skill that is so highly treasured in the three-point shot you know when looking at her story like I said she was with four different teams before this you know it kind of reminded me of the uh, of the Erica Wheeler story uh, story earlier this uh in the 2019 season she went from being undrafted to be being the All-Star Game MVP, which is incredible, obviously. Ellie Quigley was more or less out of the WNBA before she was given a chance in 2013. And all these years later, at age 33, she's putting up these insane shooting numbers. That's a story. And we were talking offline a little bit, you know, I think, and this is maybe an insane thing to say with, uh, you know, playing alongside Courtney Vandersloot, who's, you know, breaking her own assist record year after year, playing alongside Diamond Shields, who is pretty much, you know, a transition offense within herself. But I think Allie Quigley is sort of the engine that makes that offense go and the most important offensive player on the sky. That's a very interesting take. Um, <laughs> I could definitely see where you're coming from with that, partially because, you know, of, of her gravity and, and what have you. But I think you said when we were speaking about this, it goes beyond just simply gravity, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, gravity to me is, well, I mean, gravity means a lot of different things. But when I hear gravity, I feel like what I think of is just like someone who you can't leave alone at the three-point line. But I feel like that really kind of undersells it with Allie Quigley. She just so much, like we were saying before, just off the ball, running through screens, going from one side of the court to the other, having the defense chaser. And she does present you that, oh no, gravity that we talked about a little bit last week with some of the, the Dreams new acquisitions that, you know, she she just opens things up for everyone else in a way that just makes the court a lot more balanced. Yeah, and of course, then you have Courtney Vandersloot, starting point guard. First of all, let me just get this out of the way, okay? I'm biased. 
a little biased. I believe Slut is the best point guard in the league. Where would you rank her as far as lead guards are concerned? I mean, in terms of the best point guards in the league, she's no worse than second. I am pretty partial to Chelsea Gray. You know, it's tough because Gray had a, a tough year last season, you know, from a statistical and efficiency standpoint. But I think, you know, she's just so tough and can finish around the basket. She has great vision like Slut, maybe not quite as good as Vandersloot, but it's one-two with those two in my opinion. Okay, fair enough. I'll settle for that. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting you bring up Gray did not have her best offensive season. Vanderson somewhat struggled shooting the basketball. You know, her, her effective field goal percentage was just north of 50%. So she was maybe not at her best scoring-wise either, but you just can't argue with the results she got in James Wade's offense. I mean, she just keeps getting better and better. 9.1 assists per game. Her assist percentage, she assisted on 47% of her teammates' basket. That's insane. Insane. I think the Sky are at their best when Courtney Vandersloot is, you know, finding that balance between being aggressive for herself and setting up others for easy baskets. Uh, the assists are great. She, she is the best passer in the league, has the best vision in the league, the most creative passer in the league. But when she really decides that, that she can score the basketball as well, I think that's when the Sky are at their best, in my opinion. Definitely agree on that. Now, of course, the Sky are more than a two-woman show. They've got a pretty good young player in Diamond to Shields. I mean, what can you say about Diamond to Shields? We talked about how she really does just create an efficient transition offense within herself, leaking out. She's just obviously so athletic. Right below the league average in terms of true shooting percentage, but she gets to the line a pretty solid amount for a perimeter player. As a spot-up threat, you know, she was solid in the 63rd percentile, but 93 catch-and-shoot jumpers to only 16 attacks from the basket. I think, you know, there's a better balance to be had there. Obviously, a lot of those opportunities were wide-open shots shots where the defense is kind of daring her to take those shots and, and she can't hit them. And I expect her percentage to climb as, as uh, her career goes on. But I think there were some opportunities where she had a blow by chance and, and set up for a jump shot. But you know, her shot profile is pretty good. 33% of her shots coming from three, 31% of her shots coming from within five feet. Would like to see maybe some of the mid-range stuff cut out a little bit, but she can hit those too. Um, you know, not an amazing percentage, but but she takes some tough pull-ups. And I mean, obviously just between her athleticism and, you know, the way she can attack the basket, drive from both sides of the hoop, you know, she's going to be a star. She's going to be a star. I think some people would argue that she is already a star, but I mean, I agree. I think the Shields does have, the scary thing for me is she's got so much more room to improve as well. She was a first-time All-Star last season, but as soon as the shot profile improves a little bit, I think her, for the Shields, her percentages don't really speak to how good of a player she is on offense. I mean, you alluded to it before. She was this guy's transition offense. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think the numbers kind of don't do her justice in terms of just how effective she is and how much pressure, you know, more importantly, probably that she puts on the defense in terms of just running it down her throat or, you know, collapsing in when she's driving. So maybe on those drives, I'd like to see the vision improve a little bit. But I mean, we're nitpicking here. She's, she's going to be like an absolute superstar, I think, at some point. Yeah, it, it's tough for me as a fan to not be nitpicky when the team gets bounced in the second round of the playoffs on a... We're not going to talk about that. But We're not going to talk about it. <laughs> we're not going to talk about that. But um, it, again, like what, what I'm saying is basically it's... I see the light at the end of the tunnel. And as a fan, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been tough over the years for this guy, but I'm extremely optimistic at the moment. But we're going to go over later some reasons why we should be optimistic about this guy, maybe some reasons, some areas in which they can improve a little bit. But before then, is there anybody else offensively who really st- who really stands out to you? How about Stephanie Dolson? What she well, bring? I think Steph Dolson is a tough player to evaluate in some ways because she does a lot of the extra stuff 
that you would just love to have from a center. Her passing ability, her passing instincts, always ready to swing the extra pass. She's a great screener on and off the ball. We talked about before her chemistry uh, with Allie Quigley, the ability to stretch the floor. You know, she shoots a, a good percentage from, from three. She'll take the long two as well. You know, not a very effective finisher around the rim, really struggles as a roller, but this guy don't really run a ton of pick and rolls. So, you know, we'll, we'll get into her her defense maybe a little bit later and kind of, you know, how I see her as, as a fit kind of with where the sky want to go. But offensively, you know, I really do think she's just a perfect fit for what they want to do for what Chicago wants to do with their motion offense. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I agree with most of that. Uh, she is a very good screener, uh, a very good illegal screener, perhaps the best illegal screener in the league. But, and what I mean by that is, you know, she gets away with so much, which is, which is a good thing. Great thing for this guy. She's a great pick and pop player. Um, I was a little shocked to see the numbers about how poor she is finishing in the pick and roll. But with how much motion the sky run, I mean, it's probably better that she's up top setting screens and, you know, using her passing ability anyway, because she is a very good passer as well. I think Dolson is the type of player who you look at her deficiencies and you think, well, this isn't good at all. You know, there's no way she can be a starting center on a, a championship caliber team. That, that kind of over, overshadows what she's good at. And she's good at a lot. You know, but that's kind of what I was saying before. It, it's tough to sort of evaluate her overall package because what she's good at are, are attributions that you would love to have from a center, but her where she struggles are kind of what you need out of a center. So could they be a more effective team if they had a different player? You know, if we're talking about players within her tier, you know, Elizabeth Williams and Latoya Sanders, I think are comparable players in my opinion, both better defensively. But I don't think those two players necessarily bring as much defensively over Steph Dolson to make up for how good of a fit Dolson is offensively for the sky for being able to kind of make things work for that motion offense like we talked about before, setting screens off ball, the, the chemistry with um, their two guards in particular, being able to space the floor, particularly from three. But her defensive struggles are, you know, definitely something we'll, we'll – talk about I'm sure but um, in terms of you know what she brings to the sky it, it really is a perfect fit offensively. That's an inter- interesting point you bring up about comparable centers I think you know when we think about the best centers in the league Dolson is, is not up there but she does bring plenty of uh, plenty of tools that you would like to have from your starting center and the idea of you know what she does offensively outweighs what she doesn't do defensively I mean as we talked about the numbers at the start of the show the Sky were the second best offensive team in the league. Uh, they were not so good defensively. So the Sky can't really have their cake and eat it too in this instance. They they have what they have. Um, and I think they're doing a pretty good job of, at least this season, this past season, coaching the players and putting the players in a position where they're most effective. You know, I'm not sure I 100% agree with you in terms of her offensive strengths outweighing her liabilities. You know, she is a player who will also foul a ton, and maybe that's even aside from her uh, effectiveness defensively. That That's one thing where you're just like, okay, your foul rate is so high that, that you're having trouble staying on the court. And then, you know, just not being up to par, being able to guard the best centers in the league. You know, she was she really struggled as a post-defender. You can't really switch, you know, you, you have to play a very traditional dropback coverage with her. So I'm not 100% sure I agree with you, you know, if we're talking about real considerable upgrades in terms of talent, but definitely in terms of, you know, players in her same neighborhood, I think she she's the best fit, but I'm not 100% sure I agree that her offense completely outweighs the deficiencies defensively. Okay, so in that case, let's talk about this guy's defense. They were, I would say they were okay on defense, you know, not a championship level 
offense was down across the WNBA last season, so that's some important context. But you spoke to the point about Steph Dolson, you know, they need to play a lot of drop coverage. They can't really switch much on, on screens, which is a problem. I, I definitely admit that. What did this guy do well defensively, and what do they need to do better? Well, they did some things really well defensively. You know, they were number one in opponents' points per possession allowed in transition. Uh, they were eighth in frequency, so allowing the fifth highest frequency. They were fifth in turnover percentage offensively, like we talked about before. So that's just going to naturally create a lot of transition opportunities for, for your opponents. But, you know, in those opportunities, I thought they were really good getting back, getting at least one big back. It's usually one big in either DeShields or, or Vandersloot, who I think is probably an underrated defender in her own right. You know, they allowed the lowest three-point attempt rate against, so that's that's pretty good. They were, you know, middle of the pack in putting their opponents on the line. They were middle of the pack guarding pick-and-roll rollers, so only sixth in, in defensive rebounding, sixth in overall rebounding. I was surprised that they didn't turn their opponents over more. Really? I mean, I think of at least Diamond DeShields getting out in transition. Uh, you know, Gabby Williams led the league in steal percentage her rookie season. So to see that they were 11th in opponent turnover percentage, 10th in steals percentage, I, I did kind of expect that to be a little bit higher. Okay, I can see where you're coming from for that, especially for DeShields. Um, she is a player who I think has a very high defensive ceiling as well. Um, so maybe that's something that's just going to come to her naturally uh, next season. Uh, to be fair, Gabby Williams was playing very strangely out of position. Point Gabby, we'll, we'll go over that later. But yeah, the lack of defensive playmaking definitely is an issue, I think. It's... Maybe, how, how do you feel that that's, why, why is that such an issue for them? Like, is it because they can't switch very often? Well, I think a contributing factor is none of their bigs are real uh, defensive playmakers. Some of their bigs are better than others just as overall defenders, but none of them really have outstanding blocker steal rates, you know, Dolson in particular. Diamond DeShields was just not as effective in defense, I think, as we would like to see her be. I think overall, she she really has a, a long way to go as a team defender, can really kind of get lost sometimes, uh, particularly, you know, guarding off the ball, allowing back cuts. I think their, their bench units in particular, I think, did not have a lot of defensive talent to them. Uh, you know, I think their starters actually probably defended better than, than folks think, but the bench units were struggling a lot more there. Okay, so now keep in mind, this guy did acquire some new uh, bench players or projected bench players. We might have been saving this for later in the show, but we can just get to it now. You really like the signing of Sydney Colson with uh, Vanderslip's backup point guard. Yeah, I mean, I think she's going to be a perfect fit for, for kind of what troubled them so much last year. Kalia Copper, you know, has a reputation as this tough defensive player, but she really struggled last year defensively, in my opinion. She was in the first percentile in limited possessions guarding spot-ups. She was in the eighth percentile guarding pick-and-roll ball handlers. Faulkner struggled a lot defensively last year as well. So I think Sydney Colson gives their bench like much-needed defense guarding the backcourt. You know, excellent defending pick-and-roll ball handlers, excellent defending spot-ups. Will generate a ton of turnovers for them. You know, she was individually a poor transition player last year, but creating such a high turnover rate herself with, with all these steals that are going to lead to more opportunities there. You know, kind of a, a more low usage, high turnover player herself. She brings a nice element to dribble penetration on offense and finishing around the basket. And I would expect her to maybe play a little bit more than she did in Vegas. Yeah, I, I think Sid Colson is a player who, um, I mean, I'm excited to have her in Chicago as a fan. Uh, not just because she's a terrific hype woman, but because she does bring the energy. She does 
uh, bring the defense. This guy having a solid point of attack defender, I think is going to make a lot of other people look better, especially you talk about the bench having poor defensive lineups. Sid Colson's defense at the point of attack is going to help the rest of those players as well, I believe. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is that she's coming from a team in which she really wasn't asked to do a heck of a lot in, in Las Vegas. And she might not be asked to do as much in Chicago either, but the personnel around her will be radically different. So I'm just excited to see how she, how she can kind of lead that second unit and how she can play on a motion heavy team that emphasizes outside shooting on this guy. And uh, this guy also, they made a trade in the offseason. They acquired uh, forward Azari Stevens in a trade with the Dallas Wings, sent over rookie Katie Lou Samuelson, and as well as a future draft pick. Now, personally, I was extremely excited for this move. Um, I, I was very high on Azari Stevens entering the 2018 draft. I thought she would have been a great fit for Chicago. Of course, last season, she was somewhat limited by injury. I, in fact, I shouldn't even say somewhat. She was very limited by injury. And I think a lot of people are sleeping on her as a result of that. What do you think about Ezra Stevens here? I mean, I kind of had to myself do a little bit of an Ezra Stevens refresher course. Of course, I, I didn't watch her in college. Uh, I did watch a lot of 2018 Dallas Wings. I thought that was a really fun roster. But I, I did want to kind of go back and, and rewatch her a little bit. You know, it had been a while, of course. And, you know, she's definitely going to bring some defensive playmaking, I think. Her rookie year, you know, she had way higher steal and block rates than, than really any of the other Chicago bigs. You know, has great athleticism, is going to run the floor hard both ways. You know, really great length, a really, you know, quick leap as well. And just so much more, I think, versatile defensively than really any of the other options for the power forward uh, for Chicago. You know, I was, I was watching a game uh, in preparation for this from 2018 where, you know, Candace Parker was out of the game. They were playing the Sparks and she was the primary defender on Chelsea Gray for like eight minutes. So she brings a perimeter element defensively that none of their other power forward options really bring to them. I'm not sure how much they'll incorporate that. You know, it's tough to kind of play different schemes with different players within the same team, but at least the option is kind of there if they want it. Yeah. When you think about Asbury Stevens, you think about upside. And I mean, the only reason that is, is because she hasn't really broken out yet, but she had a very good rookie season in 2018 with the Wings uh, under Fred Williams as head coach there. Uh, they played her a little bit at the three. I'm not sure if that's such a great idea here on the sky. That's really not where they need her. I think they need her to be that that versatile defending uh, defending player at the four. But offensively is where Ezra Stevens is really intriguing to me. She has a little bit of an outside shot. I'm not sure if I would lean heavily on her for that. What do you think about her offensively? Like what's... What's her potential? What can she bring to this team offensively? Well, I mean, she'll at least take the threes, right? Which is kind of more than their other power forward options yeah. uh, are giving you. And, you know, she'll stand out there. She, I think she really does kind of have like some, some three-level potential just in terms of her touch from the mid-range. She can score near the basket and, you know, like we were saying, take some threes as well. She'll, she gets to the line, you know, not an amazing amount, but an okay amount. Offensively, she will definitely, you know, give you the most uh, off the dribble playmaking. It'll be interesting to see how she kind of adapts in a more motion heavy offense where, you know, things are a little bit more structured. So, uh, you know, she gives a nice versatility. She's definitely, you know, as you were saying, the upside play here. And I think a lot of the sky's ceiling, you know, we kind of know what we have with Dolson. We know what we have out of the backcourt. I think a lot of the sky's ceiling has to do with Azure Stevens being a high level contributor on both ends along with Diamond and Shields, like making the jump to superstardom. Okay, now, and this, this kind of brings us into our next little segment here. Who should the starting power forward be for the Chicago Sky? Well, I think at least to start, 
I think they should go with Jonte Lavender. We know what we're getting out of the Lavender Dolson front court. It's not something that excites you. You know, I texted you, I think it was yesterday, yeah. saying that th- this is my opinion. I think they should go with Lavender. I have kind of, I think, a little bit come around on this. You know, I think if we get to mid to late season and it's not Ezra Stevens, that, then something is wrong probably uh, in kind of her development. We were just saying she is kind of the more high upside player. Jontel Lavender probably should be the backup center as well. So Lavender, she is what she is at this point, right? She's going to take a ton of long twos. She'll stand behind the three-point line and then put that toe right on the line. Oh my God. Um, she has limited athleticism, but I think she's like a solid player pretty much all around. You know, I think she's the best screener of these options, at least uh, in terms of what they had last year. You know, Stevens, I think, has shown the willingness to be an off-ball screener, if not necessarily the, the skills to do it effectively. Um, but Lavender, you know, she does not have amazing athleticism, but has good fundamentals guarding the pick and roll. She's not an amazing finisher, but she's an opportune one, I would say. So, you know, 63% from within five feet, you know, that's about 40% of her shots come from within there. I know the long twos drive everyone crazy, but she does hit them at a pretty good rate. Uh, would love to see more of those B threes. I think it's, you know, of course, kind of limited with her shot form because she really, you know, is so front foot forward and doesn't really catch the ball ready to shoot. She has to catch and then step. And that really sort of, you know, you're standing behind the line, but then you catch it and you have to make another step. So, so you're just going to naturally just, uh, you know, step on the line so frequently and it's infuriating, but I do think overall, she at least is a better starting option than Cheyenne Parker. And it remains to be seen what Stevens will give them. Yeah, infuriating is the word for the long two. Okay, so <laughs> I I hated this back when Lavender was on the Sparks, and that's not even my team. It's just so frustrating seeing a player who's wide open and who you know can hit the three-point shot, having like literally two or three toes on three-point line and then, and then knocking down the bucket. But I will concede that she is probably the most uh, steady option. I think she's probably more of a center than she is a power forward, but given this guy's personnel... Yeah, I mean, they had plenty of success success with Lavender at the four last season, so they should probably start with it. But, you know, as we were, as we were talking about, you know, off, off air, you brought up the point, this, this is my point originally, I believe, uh, if, if Azra Stevens does not have a large role as a power forward on the team by the end of the season, then this guy's potential is probably significantly limited. Because a starting back, or a starting front court, sorry, of Lavender and Dolson, I mean, it's it's good offensively, but defensively, it just doesn't give you that many options against the better offensive teams in the league. It's not going to really make many plays, as we talked about defensively, either blocking shots or generating steals. I mean, that's not everything. But when you have a team that's that was ninth in defensive rating last year, I mean, you probably need a little bit more out of that combo. But yeah, I mean, I mean, Lavender, she's a solid player. She's she is a very good screener. You're correct. Um, she's very good at moving without the basketball. And in that, I think she's a very, very good complement to Courtney Vandersloot, especially in this motion-heavy offense. And Quigley. And Ellie Quigley, yes. Let's not forget about Ellie Quigley. We cannot forget the Vanderquigs, they are inseparable, um, obviously. But yeah, so she's a great fit next to what this guy have offensively. Defensively, I'm not sold. But again, due to personnel, it's probably for the best that Lavender just starts. But again, towards the end of the season... I want to see plenty of Ezra Stevens there, maybe even starting depending on how well she pans out with his team. And I think I went into this exercise kind of rooting that by the end of it, I would come away with 
thinking Cheyenne Parker would be the best starting uh, option at the power forward being the, the fifth starter. But, you know, I think I'm more just come around to the idea that she's like a really solid bench big that can come in, play with high energy, punish mismatches. You know, she really will. Uh, I was surprised at her sort of deftness at putting smaller players in the goal. Like she will absolutely just dominate a mismatch. She loves that that right shoulder to left hand. You know, 53% from within five feet, that's not amazing, but she does take 75% of her shots from so close to the basket, which is which is great for a player who has not shown an amazing will, um, ability to, to hit the jump shot. And I think maybe that, that jump shot should just, I'm starting to think that maybe that should just be removed as an element of her game. Mm-hmm. You know, she doesn't take a ton of threes, doesn't really make them when, when she does. So I would maybe just, you know, when she doesn't, have the ball or, or she's not near the basket, focus that energy a little bit more on kind of screening to get others open. She, she is the most individually efficient among this group, you know, gets to the line a decent amount, definitely an athletic upgrade over John Tell Lavender, you know, has the best individual rebounding numbers of Chicago's rotation bigs at least last year, but the team as a whole actually saw like a pretty big drop off in terms of rebounding percentage when Parker was on the floor as compared to when she was off. And I think a lot of that has to do with John Tell and Dolson being such good box out players that, that they're able to kind of keep the other bigs off the glass a little bit more than Parker does when, when she's not able to get that board. So, you know, like I was saying, I, I was kind of rooting for Cheyenne Parker kind of coming into this, but I think, you know, she's just better off as a, a bench big. I too was rooting for Cheyenne Parker. She's kind of won over a lot of people since she was first drafted to this guy. You might not guess it from watching her now, but when she first got in a league, she had not very much offensive skill. You talk about the left hand, that's something that really developed in recent years. And the jump shot, like you think she's not a very good jump shooter now. Like she wouldn't even think about it back when she was a rookie. Although I, I guess you would argue that she should go back to not thinking. <laughs> um, Cheyenne has, is another player who on this team, I think is an individual success story because she has improved so much because she's gotten better every season. You would have a significant contingent of fans saying that, Cheyenne earned the starting power forward position, at least in 2018. But yeah, I mean, she is very good at what she does in her current role. She almost won sixth woman of the year back in 2019 or 2018. I'm sorry. Was robbed on a technicality, but that's, that's another rant. Um, the technicality of somebody else qualifying for it. Of, of John Quill Jones technically being considered a bench player. But yeah, no, Cheyenne, she's a very steady option. And that's, that's an attractive choice to have in the starting lineup. I would be comfortable with her, her like being as a, as a spot starter. But, you know, I mean, you raised some good points about her punishing mismatches and taking, taking advantage of weaker front courts on opposing benches. So I'm probably fine with where Cheyenne is at now. She's good. She's a good bench pick. So we talked a little bit about who the Sky gained in the offseason, didn't really cover their departures. Jameer Faulkner, Astu Ndu. Kayla Alexander, Katie Lou, we mentioned in the Stevens trade. Which of these losses, if any, do you think the Sky will be feeling the, the most heavily? Which of this guy, which of these losses they'll be feeling the most heavily? I think it's I think it's new. She really came out strong after John Tell Lavender got hurt last season. I believe the Sky were a much better rebounding team with her in the starting lineup afterwards. You might want to check that. But she did a lot for them on both ends of the floor. She she's a good outside shooter, but she's not a high volume outside shooter. I think a lot of those with and do in the starting lineup, you kind of got rid of those long twos from Gentile Lavender because here's you're inserting a player who's just not going to take those. And those shots are going to other people. Those shots are going to your Stephanie Dolson's and your Ellie Quigley's and your Diamond the Shields. She's a great complimentary player. 
And on defense, she does bring that length and that potential playmaking. Of course, the Sky were unable to match that uh, restricted free agency offer. And which I believe it's part of the reason why they had to go get Ezra Stevens, because there was no way of replacing that length in the front court. Then the others, you know, Jameer Faulkner, that's, that's a really sad story. She just hasn't been able to stay healthy over the past few seasons. In her prime, she was a very, very quick point guard and I think an underrated distributor. Um, this guy had a very solid one-two punch at the point guard position with Vandersloot and Faulkner when they were both healthy. Unfortunately, that never really manifested when this guy were in contending status. And then Kayla Alexander, she was a, she was a replacement backup. Um, not really surprised to see her go. I hope she does get an opportunity with the Lynx. And then Katie Samuelson, Boy, I don't know what to make of this one, man. I, I really don't don't know what to make of this one. I did not like the pick. Um, I thought Collier was the pick, but they went with Samuelson. She got injured pretty early in the season and never really found her footing. And th- this is something I kind of want to talk about a little bit. Wh- why do you think that Samuelson pick didn't really work out in this instance beyond the injury? Well, she's just kind of a player without a defensive position. I think she sort of lacks the foot. And first, I think it's kind of too early to say that the pick didn't work out. You know, she had one tough rookie year. A lot of players have tough rookie years. But I think where where she struggled, she does lack athleticism. She, I think, is too slight to really guard fours, too slow to guard threes. She is purported to be this kind of knockdown shooter and Granted, it was a, a super low sample size, but wasn't really able to provide any sort of threat from outside. So, you know, she was bad at the things she was supposed to be bad at and wasn't good at the things she was supposed to be good at. That's a very good way of putting it. Um, I, I do think she does have very good potential in this league as a tall shooter. But again, the, the defense is, is what really, I mean, she, she could not be on the floor long enough to really, re, to, to really take advantage of her shooting because she couldn't guard threes or fours. So, I mean, that's... That's a very difficult position. I guess maybe if we can just sort of take a step back to the defensive end for the Sky. You know, the Sky were 12th against post-ups. Pretty much all of their their options last year were below average here. I think their, their players with length lacked size. Their players with size lacked length. They were 12th in opponent points in the paint per 100 possessions. So this kind of gets back to what I was talking about before. With Dolson, you know, the things that she's supposed to be good at from being a center you know, kind of being the anchor of your defense, I think that's kind of the most important role a center can have. You know, this is where she struggles. And without sort of a lot of internal growth from DeShields and Stevens, I think, you know, her her limitations here, the athletic limitations, the finishing limitations, you know, she's not a defensive playmaker in any measure, you know, can't really create any sort of turnovers for you, fouls a ton. And she, you know, this is a center-dominated league and she can't guard the best centers in the post. And, and that's kind of what a lot of offenses do in crunch time or late in games is they're going to throw it to their their best player down low and you got to be able to at least put up some sort of a fight. Otherwise you're going to throw a double team and leave a capable player open. And I'd also like to add the rebounding. Um, Oh, sure. There are a lot of, most of the WNBA's best centers are also very good offensive rebounders. I'm not going to say who isn't um, because I think you already know, but like when you, when you go up against like a Liz Cambage or a John Cole Jones or a Sylvia Fowles, you know, your work's not done. If they miss, you got to keep them off the glass. That's one area that Steph Dolson simply needs to improve at. For sure. Uh, let's talk about Gabby. Let's talk about Gabby. Okay. So interestingly, um, she played the point guard last season. She was a backup point guard in wake of Jameer Faulkner getting injured. Where do we start with this? Well, I think we both kind of agree that point Gabby was an experiment worth trying. It didn't work. 
the the idea of why it could work is pretty evident i think you know she's athletic she's a, a plus passer her shooting limitations are perhaps muted a little bit if she has the ball kind of creating for others but why didn't it work that's i wish i could give you a solid answer on this um because i mean i totally agree at the start at the start of the season when when I saw Gabby playing backup point guard, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is, this is cool. You know, I, it's unorthodox, but I think with her, her court vision and her passing ability and her size as a point guard, you know, this, this might be a good uh, experiment. And it did not work. I think Gabby is a player who you're, you're, you need more out of offensively. And that's, that's at any position, you know, whether she's playing the two, the three, the four. It's, it was pretty much a, a given that she needs to improve her jump shot she needs to be more aggressive offensively because the talent and the athleticism are there, right? You know, she's, she's a very athletic player, but she needs a little, a little more confidence in her skill. She needs, she needs to uh, just become a better three-level scorer. Um, and if you're playing her at backup point guard, that's, you know, I don't want to get into the whole intangibles thing, but that's throwing a lot of extra stuff on her plate as a developing scorer as well. So I don't know. And maybe she just didn't have the, the instincts for it. She just didn't have the timing down. She just never really looked comfortable playing point guard. And that's fine. It's an experiment. It didn't work. It, it exposed a flaw in the Sky's roster construction. And in signing uh, Sidney Colson to back up Vandersloot, it shows that they took it seriously. And they're not trying to let that happen again. And Gabby Williams, I think we both agree, is a good passer, of course. But I think having her play the point guard and, and primarily handling the ball you know, in theory, it does negate some of the spacing issues of, you know, leaving her alone off ball. But it also, I think, kind of limits the opportunities for what I see as kind of her biggest offensive strength, which is just being able to attack right off the catch or, you know, kind of start moving right before the catch just so you kind of have that head of steam. I think that's kind of really where she's at her best, like just attacking the basket quickly, you know, off the dribble right when she catches it. And, And those opportunities are, of course, limited when you have the ball in your hand so much. Right. And, you know, I, I think just her lack of a three-point shot, she would get rid of the ball and then defenses would more or less ignore her. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's not going to be good for the offense, no matter who's playing point guard. So, okay. Failed experiment. That's fine. They have a real backup point guard. Now, where do you see Gabby being most effective? I mean, she's a wing, right? She, she has to be a wing. And I, I like the idea of Gabby Williams, even with the shooting limitations, playing a lot of bench lineups. You know, we talked about her ability as a passer. She really looks the part as a wing defender. Uh, She has great size, great athleticism, obviously can be a defensive playmaker. I mentioned before that she led the league in steal percentage her her rookie season. You know, she does get to the basket a fair amount in terms of the number of her possessions. She's a pretty solid finisher when she gets there. You know, not an effective mid-range jump shooter at all. Obviously not a threat from three. Um, but I think she's still a wing if, if she can play around enough spacing to make it work. And, you know, the defensive metrics weren't kind to her, but I think that was largely driven by some uh, some outside factors. You know, she, she could improve defensively for sure. I think she has to be more solid there. But I think she can be a positive contributor as a bench player, as a wing, and not a point guard and not a power forward. <laughs> so basically everywhere she has not played yet, she can be good. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. That to be determined. So while we're talking about young players, what did you think of their most recent draft? I thought they had a terrific draft, um, and I don't say that often. I'm, I'm kind, of a, kind of a draft nerd, but I think they had a great draft. Ruthie Hebert was, I think most would agree, the best fit for this guy, and 
a lot of people had this guy drafting her. She made her name next to a player you might have heard of, Sabrina Ionescu, um, playing for your, uh, Oregon. She was kind of her pick-and-roll partner. She shot an absurd uh, field goal percentage. She was like over 65% from the field in each of her sophomore, junior, and senior seasons. And Oregon is a team that really had a lot of outside shooting. They played in a very up-tempo and maximum spacing offense. So I think you could, one could argue that Hebert was a product of that kind of offense. But my, arg- my counter-argument would be you don't shoot that well from the field three seasons in a row if you're not good. And Ruthie Hebert is a player who is very good at the rim. She knows how to finish. Uh, her size may be a little bit of an issue because she's not actually, they will say she's 6'4", she's not 6'4", okay? In fact, I believe she actually said that when uh, being interviewed by Holly Rowe. She's more like six two and a half. But for all intents and purposes, for what this guy need out of her, they need a good pick and roll player who can just soak up a bunch of minutes right now. She's a player who I think can come in and contribute right away because of that pick and roll ability. This guy have a pretty good pick and roll player too in Courtney Vandersloot, right? So she's going to be able to provide um, and maybe a little bit of defensive switching as well. Not a ton, but a little bit. But Hebert is a WNBA ready player, I would say. Then in the third round, this is this is where it gets tough because I think both of these were good picks. Point guard Priest Dean and then power forward Kaya Gillespie from Florida State. They were both good picks for the value, mid to late third round picks. This guy just don't have room for them. According to her hoop stats, Richard Cohen, the WNBA alien, the Sky will only be able to keep 11 players on their roster due to salary cap concerns. So neither Dean nor Gillespie is going to make this roster. That's uh, unless somebody really impresses and like Sydney Colson ends up getting cut. She's not going to get cut, spoiler alert. So it's tough, but that's kind of what I like about the draft. The Sky, they made the right picks anyway, regardless of whether or not these players are going to be in their future plans. So I was very encouraged by it all overall. Really looking forward to Ruthie Hebert. She can be that. She can also be that back, that third string center, right? I mean, you're not going to be messing around saying, okay, you know, Gabby needs to play emergency minutes at the four now, or you know, you got to play a Dolson Lavender front court. It, it gives this guy a little more flexibility, just as far as player, as just as far as centers who do what they're best at. What I mean by that is Hebert does not have a jump shot that we've seen, but if you're shooting like. 67, 68% from the field at the rim, that's okay. You don't really want to be taking jump shots if you're that good at the rim, you know? So do you expect her to play, or would you expect, like, I kind of expect for Jontel Lavender to soak up a majority of the backup center minutes? Yeah, th- and this is, this is what's tough. I mean, I don't see many minutes for Hebert being available right away, especially with the acquisition of Azrae Stevens. I think they're going to want Azrae to get acquainted right away as soon as possible. And, you know, and Cheyenne Parker is capable of playing backup five. And I don't think that's the ideal position for her, but you have some players. I don't want to call it a log jam. I want to call it depth, right? Sure. Uh, taking a positive spin on things. I don't think Hebert's going to have a, a role on this team right away, but she will be able to step in and contribute if necessary. So of Dean or Gillespie, let's say there's an injury. I guess it's maybe it's not positional based because you, because the sky have such a depth at, at power forward, what, which of those two do you think would be more likely to make the team or are more WNBA ready? Whichever of those two you feel like is a more compelling answer. I mean, I can answer it for both ways. I think Gillespie is probably more WNBA ready because she is what you would, most people would call a stretch for. Her shooting numbers don't really reflect it, but at Florida State, she was a very good outside. She was a pretty good outside shooter and she had a lot of defensive attention at Florida State. She's not going to be drawing that much defensive attention at the WNBA level should she make a team. 
So I think as a complimentary player, uh, Gillespie would be the pick. But again, then you would have, what, six center forward centers? And Gillespie, the, the problem with her is um, the athleticism just isn't there. Like, she's going to struggle on defense. She's like six foot two at best. She's probably not going to beat many people off the dribble. So she'd be mainly a situational player. Um, then on the other hand, Japrice Dean, she's very small. She's like, this is another case where they kind of fudge the height. They list her at 5'6". I don't think she's 5'6". I'd say 5'5 five, five at the mo- at best. She's a real spark plug on offense, but she's also not a very efficient scorer. Uh, UCLA people will tell you, oh, she's a dog. She's, she really gets the accurate. She's hard over height. And that's all good. You know, and that, that's great. But as a point guard, I mean, I think there might be better options in free agency, to be honest with you. But again, I'm willing to be proven wrong. I'm not sure if either player is would be best for an injury replacement, but we'll see how they do in camp. I know James Wade was particularly high in Gillespie because of her wingspan. He did admit that like her foot speed isn't the best, but it's kind of offset by her wingspan. We'll see about that. But again, that kind of shows that he's, we talked earlier about this guy's inability to switch and inability to create plays on, to make plays on defense. Wade's quote there, it kind of suggests to me anyway, that he realizes this is an issue and is going to bring in players to compete who can address that issue. Does that make sense? Sure. And, you know, Stevens would be a big part of that. Stevens will be a big part of that. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, although the team is going to be able to only carry 11 players, I think the depth is actually going to be better uh, than last season, thanks to the additions of Sidney Colson and Ruthie Hebert. I'm just really excited to watch his team and really excited to see how it develops, because I think they're probably... I don't know, would you call them second tier or third tier? Okay, let's get into it. I do have them in the third tier of WNBA teams. You know, I think they're more likely than Atlanta to jump out of that tier, to, to go get higher than that. But without Stevens being a high-level contributor on both ends and without Diamond DeShields making the leap, you know, I think they're a solid playoff team and a title would be surprising. Okay, I begrudgingly agree with you. The problem is, like... You saw so many of these teams make big splashes in free agency or teams getting players back from injury, like Seattle, for instance. They're going to be getting both Brianna Stewart and Sue Bird back. That's just not something the Sky were able to match in the offseason. So they are going to depend. You said it a thousand times already, but they are going to depend heavily on Diamond Shields improving, Kalia Copper improving, Gabby Williams improving, and Ezra Stevens becoming a legit WNBA rotation player and giving the Sky something that they, don't, that they didn't have last year. Um, I do think the upset potential is there just because they bring some things that other teams just can't compete with. What I mean by that is they do bring that transition game and that athleticism on the wing. I'm going to go back to last season when they blew Phoenix out late in the season and they blew Phoenix out again in the first round of the playoffs. That was not, that, that wasn't a fluke. Like that, there is a legit reason for that. They couldn't keep Diamond to Shields out of the open floor. They had no answer for Ellie Quigley, and they just looked old and slow compared to this guy. And that was a game where Griner absolutely dominated, too. So. Right. so the deficiency for this guy in the front court, it didn't matter in that case. And I think that's, that's something this guy will still be able to kind of take advantage of, which is like their athleticism and their, their dependence on Quigley. I do, one thing I would like to see, however, is either Copper or DeShields becoming a better outside shooter. Because for as much we talk about, like, this, the, you know, the sky sh- outside shooting and all that stuff, beyond Ellie Quigley and Stephanie Dolson, they don't really have that much good three-point shooting. If one of their really athletic wings can become at least an average outside shooter, I think that's going to open up a whole lot more for their offense. Well, they were second in offense last year. So let's say they are, you know, a top two offensive team again. 
They were ninth in defense. Where do you think they would have to be defensively to be a title contender? I mean, it's been so long since this guy were even a competent defensive team. I got to go all the way back to back to the Sylvia Fowles era, I believe. Realistically, I think they could maybe get to like seventh. I don't know, man. Just this 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 front court is just is just not appealing defensively. Again, it just really depends on players like Stevens and Parker taking that next step defensively. You know, I think um I, I think I mentioned this earlier in the show, but I kind of think Courtney Vandersloot like maybe gets a bad rap defensively. I think she's kind of a tough defender. You know, she's pretty good guarding pick and rolls. I think maybe because she maybe is just like this offensive type passer finding all these creative passes that that maybe she gets looped into um, being this kind of sieve defensively. And I think Allie Quigley is probably not a good defensive player, but I think Courtney Vandersloot is at worst solid. I agree with that. And if you don't mind me going off on a mini tangent here, that's, that's one of my biggest beefs with like, any kind of basketball discussion. If if you have a, such a good offensive player who doesn't really have that many weaknesses on offense, it's like, well, she's a great, good passer. She's a good shooter. She can get to the rim. Uh, she must not be good at defense then. It's like, well, no. no. She's a pretty good defender too. So, I mean, yeah, that's – so a backcourt of Vandersloot backed up by Colson is pretty good defensively there. I could agree with you on that. Especially, you know, if Sid Colson picks it up at the point of attack and really – harasses people although the ceiling for this team defensively I still don't think it's that great you know I I would say middle of the pack at best and given the personnel I think that's fine yeah I guess best case scenario is they're the best offense in the league you know the players we talked about before all turn into solid consistent positive defensive contributors and they get all the way to fifth I mean I don't I don't know if that's realistic but you know if that's the case then you know, they could make a deep playoff run. Steven, if the Sky are a better offensive team than Washington and Seattle, I'm going to be a happy camper. <laughs> well, I have my doubts about uh, both of those teams, which we'll get into in a little bit. Se- Seattle, definitely more for health than personnel, but Washington will get into their subtraction by addition and the later show, I'm sure. Hot take incoming. Uh, anything else on this team? Um. Not not from my end. I mean, again, I'm just excited to see them grow. I'm excited to see them develop. I think they have a good thing going with their with their core. It's just a matter of building upon the success that they had last season um, because you know a bunch of other teams got better over the offseason, and uh, this guy aren't, probably aren't going to be sneaking up on anybody this year. So, Oh, yeah, that, that was one other thing that I wanted to say because, okay. um, you know, I did kind of come off a little bit lower on the sky. I think they improved from last year. I just think L.A., Vegas, Seattle, they all improved more or exactly. started at a higher point. And that kind of goes back to my point about this guy not really being able to compete in free agency. And that's not their fault. It's just the way the salary cap is and the way decisions broke out elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So they will need to depend on that in-house improvement elsewhere. But that's still a realistic thing. I mean, do people really think Diamond Shields has, has topped out yet? I don't think so. Yeah, definitely not. I don't think so. But yeah, that's, that's pretty much all for me. Um, I'm, I, I, hate to, I, hate, I hate to keep playing the fan card, but as a fan, this is the most, I've, most excited I've been about this team since like 2014. So whenever the season begins again, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm really excited to see this team play. All right, I think that's going to do it from us. Uh, if Steven has no more thoughts, thank you very much for listening. This concludes our Sky recap and, and preview uh, for next season. Please be sure to check us out on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, five stars if, if, you, if you deem it worthy. Steven, anything else you'd like to add? I think you covered it all. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much, folks.